0: john chapter 13 verse 36 and we'll be reading through to chapter 14 to verse 14 you'll recall that last sunday as we looked at chapter 13 the latter part that behind the new commandment that jesus gave that we're to love one another as christ loved us behind that commandment was his his uh, affirmation not that it's the first time that he ever said it but his in verse 33 for instance he affirms the fact that he is leaving he's going away later on he'll say to peter that they also will be going away but just not right now they will follow the disciples will follow the lord through his death so It appears to me that Jesus is now intending to give his disciples comfort. He's announced his departure. They love him, they followed him, and he is departing. And he gives them encouragement and promises. In the midst of his discussion with them, Three of them ask very significant questions, Peter and Thomas and Philip. What I pictured here is a, something that happens experientially in all my years of teaching, that the teacher will come with a lesson plan and a flow of thought, but people in the class or the study group or whatever when given the opportunity to ask questions ask very important questions the questions these men ask lead into some really really deep and important areas Um, so i say that not only to comment on the text but also to encourage you that questions are just welcomed by teachers and they they want questions and these three men ask questions and it leads the topic into a deeper understanding as a side note meant to be truthful but humorous i've learned over the years that some of the most significant questions happen in two places one is at the very end of the class and the other is in the foyer with me and where it comes out this way pastor jim i was going to ask but so ask questions and ask them early so there's time but these three men ask questions and so we have before us not only our savior's encouragement to his disciples and by virtue of the new covenant we too are in the same position we get to hear their encouragement and receive it as if it was for us But secondly, we have uh, disciples asking questions that, that take the topic even deeper and in many significant ways. And so as I pray before we read, would you join me as we again set our heart's affection and our mind's attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that we have The word of God inscripturated in a language that we can understand and read together. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who illuminates your word and causes it to live within us. My prayer is, as Paul prayed, Father, that the eyes of our hearts would be illuminated, would be enlightened. And that every single one of us here this morning would go home knowing the hope of our calling and knowing for sure the riches of our inheritance that we share among all who call upon the name of the Lord, all the saints of God. This I pray for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen. John chapter 13, verse 36, and we're reading through to verse 14 of the next chapter. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. God's Word. For this morning, beloved, I'm going to extract the three questions from the passage. It, it's like being in a Sunday school class where the teacher has a lesson plan and teaches the lesson and people ask questions. It's not that they're more important, less important. It's just that I want us to, first of all, get the master's lesson plan. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll deal with these three questions that are very important questions. But for this Sunday, it's it, as, as you hear God's word preached, my assumption is that I'm walking through the teaching of Jesus to get his basic foundational instruction, his encouragement and his promises, his hope for us. And then we'll deal with the questions. So, it's almost like I'm extracting those three questions out of the text temporarily. Seeking to do no harm to the scripture. But simply just see with clarity what Jesus is teaching. What he's teaching by any expositor can be seen in a number of ways. And, and, and by following the language, it seems to bounce off the text and become very clear That the flow of thought of Jesus is that he first of all wanted to communicate to his disciples two imperatives, two commands. You see that in the first verse. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There's commands there. Two commands. Then he moves from that into a word of encouragement. In verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. We'll talk about that. And then as he concludes, he leaves two promises. I go to prepare a place for you, promise one. And promise two, I'll t- come back and take you to be where I am. That's my, ba- that's my outline. Two imperatives, a word of encouragement, two promises. That's the flow of thought from the text. So let's look first of all at the two imperatives. Look at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now if you have trouble seeing two imperatives, you're not going crazy this morning. You're okay. Your feet are still on terra firma and all is well. You see, the problem, beloved, is that that word in the Greek text or that verse can be translated into English three different ways without doing any injustice to the original language in the manuscript. Cases like that often appear in the Bible, and therefore we gather the correct meaning from the context. In my ESV Bible, which would be similar to you if you have an ESV or an NASB or a Bible like that, you will in fact see three imperatives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. One, believe in God. Two, believe in me. Three, and that is a suitable and a a proper English translation of that verse. However, it could also be interpreted this way. Let not your hearts be troubled, for you have believed in God, and you have believed in me. That's a suitable translation. I found no uh, commentator or expositor of any integrity that agreed that that would be the way it was translated so we're left with a third possible translation and I would argue it's the best translation it's the same translation you'll find in your New King James Version it's the same translation you'll find in your NIV it reads something like this do not let your hearts be troubled you have believed in God now believe in me The marginal note in the ESV, in fact, gives us room to interpret it that way. Two imperatives. You have, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be anxious. That's an imperative we're familiar with in the scriptures. You have believed in God. Now believe in me. Believe what I'm going to tell you now. Two commands. Don't be troubled, believe. You and I know this as believers. You are a mature congregation. You know this as believers. You know that anxiety and fear and a troubled heart find their solution in faith, in belief, in trusting. Jesus is saying, I believe to his disciples... The announcement that I have given about going away, don't let that trouble you. Trust what I'm going to say now. Put your faith in what I'm going to say now. We just sang the importance of that. Faith is the victory. But I want you to notice that from this text, faith will not appear as a viable option if it's faith in my faith. I'm trusting in how much I trust. That's not a viable option. In fact, that is discredits the text. Jesus is saying, put your trust in me, and then he gives them promises to trust in. Faith is not faith, Christian, unless it's based on a promise. If you and I are just believing that we're believing... That's not faith. That's presumption. Faith is only faith when it's placed in the promise of God's Word. That's the first sort of tweak I want to do in your minds this morning. Jesus is not calling His disciples to believe in belief. You and I know experientially that if we were to believe in our belief, our belief would be very weak and trembling most of the time. Would it not? Are you not glad that the hope and, the, and particularly the hope of our calling, the inheritance that we have, is not founded on how much we believe or how much we don't believe? It's founded on the promises of God. So the, the first thing I want to tweak your minds this morning in this first point is Jesus is not saying believe in belief he will say the promises that we're to believe in the second thing I want you to understand is Jesus is not saying that disciples if you will just believe in me all your problems will go away in fact I won't have to die and I won't leave you if you just believe he's not saying that how many times as Christians doesn't that come into our minds if I just have faith My problems will go away. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am going away. You will die and go away someday. But don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in my promises. He's not eradicating the circumstances. I noticed in Psalm 46, you need to turn there. Let me read it for you. You, 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 You're very familiar with this psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we will not fear. That little word, though, means... The earth is giving way. That little word though means the mountains are being moved, the waters are foaming, and the mountains are trembling, but we will not fear though. Do you see this church? The storm is not being eradicated. The heart of anxiety is being made peaceful in it. One of the favorite psalms of I would suppose all people is Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. It doesn't say I will fear no evil because I don't have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. No, the peace and the calmness and the tranquility come in the problem. Jesus told them he's going away. Peter knew what that meant. You and I better know what that meant. He's going to suffer and die. Jesus intimated that they would follow him later. They would go through the same death later. What does he mean? He means that just because as they have trusted in the God, the covenant God of the old covenant, just as they've known that God to be a faithful, covenant, covenant-keeping God, Jesus says, now you trust in me. And he's going to explain deeper as we read why that's true. And then he gives them a word of encouragement. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Let me say that again. Let me read that again. In my Father's house are many rooms. There's no room for speculation there, is there? There's no doubt in Jesus' words. I, I wish there were many rooms in my father's house. Maybe someday there will be many. He says, no, in my father's house are many rooms. It's almost like he'd been there, wouldn't you think? It was a case if you would any doubt. I came from my father, and now I'm going back to my father. He knows how many rooms are there, and he says there are many. He knew of their existence. He knew of their reality. The imagery of rooms that Jesus uses comes from the Oriental, the Middle East understanding of how families live together. They live together in what is called a household. And the father's house the, and where the mother and children were raised then just spread out and other rooms and other dwelling places are added to the same complex. And Jesus is saying, there's already rooms available. There are many of them. The emphasis isn't on how lavish the rooms are. We joke about that sometimes as Christians. You know, can't wait to get to heaven, get my own mansion. And we're going to have this, and we're going to have that. No, that's not the emphasis here at all. The emphasis is on the word many. Unfortunately, the authorized virgin version and the songs and choruses that we sing have created a mansion for each of us. And the word mansion is not a good word to be translated here. It's a very poor word. word. I kind of picture the northern part of Saskatchewan where I saw the, saw the Quist move and we had the chance to visit them and all the rolling hills and there's a mansion over there and a mansion over there. That's not the way heaven is. You get to live beside me whether you like it or not. My Father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places. He sure doesn't say much about this. Obviously, he's talking about heaven. Wouldn't you agree? But he sure doesn't say very much about this. We have so many questions about heaven that are not answered in the Scripture. Randy Alcorn, in his book on heaven, he wrote 600 pages. The hard copy is 600 pages he wrote on thoughts about heaven. Very good book. I commend it to you. But actually, the Bible doesn't say a lot about heaven. We wonder a lot about it. I was thinking about it just recently. As our daughter has a baby and our first grandchild and as things are happening in our family, and, and I was reflecting a lot on my own history and my mom and dad, and just wondering, I wonder how much they know. I wonder how much my daddy knows, my mother knows. Well, I'll never know that answer because it's not, the answer is not given to us in the Bible. And many of the questions you have are not answered in the Bible. But there's one answer here that is most important. Many rooms. There's room for all. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All. The promise given to Abraham that the children given to him through, through his, his son Jesus Christ to have faith in him are like this, the sand on the seashore, the stars in the heavens. And Jesus is just using the word many to describe that, that there are many rooms. No one is going to get left out who puts their faith in Christ. There's room for everyone. You just got to believe what Jesus said. Didn't He say that? Remember the first two imperatives. How do I know that's true? Well, the one who said He would die and rise again, who did die and rise again, said there's many rooms, and He said that's okay with us, isn't it? There's many rooms. had the privilege of a mom and dad although I wasn't converted send me to a Bible camp as a kid there's lots of things I've forgotten sometimes I forget what I what happened what someone said yesterday I still remember going to a little Brethren camp in northern Ontario and sitting around the campfire at this camp when I was not even a teenager and I still remember the chorus heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace I want to see my savior's face heaven is a wonderful place Do you know that this morning beloved do you believe what Jesus is saying in my father's house are many mansions many rooms many dwelling places If it wasn't true, he wouldn't have said it. (laughs) That's what he says. The one who later will say, I am truth, said, in my Father's house are many places. And as I conclude this point, my heart's prayer is for me. I've been thinking lots about this. And that's for you this morning, is that the deepest desire of my heart and your heart will be to see your Savior's face. Everything in this world conflicts against that desire. We really do have so much. And we love so much in this world. But may it be by the Spirit's power, even today, to do a work in our lives where our one sole desire will be to see our Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And then Jesus gives two promises. He gave two imperatives. Don't be anxious. Believe me. Here's the word of encouragement. Now here are two promises. One, promise one, I go to prepare a place for you. Promise two, I will come again and take you to myself. Verses 2 and 3. I go to prepare a place for you. What a comfort it is known that the stated purpose of Christ in departing from this world was to prepare a place for all who are His. I go and prepare a place. Now watch this. For you. Don't miss those two little words. For you. But Jesus, you just said Peter's going to defect. Like, hello, Peter's going to betray you, Lord. In fact, you're God, and you know everything, and you know that all these disciples around the table are going to desert you when you're arrested. They will hide from from anyone. But he says, I go to prepare a place for you. The you is plural. He's looking at the 11 disciples. I go to prepare a place for you. That's an unmistakable guarantee. And he even emphasizes it when he says... If I go, I will return. And these men actually saw him go. He says, I will take you to be with me. Second promise. I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's an interesting phrase in our Bible, I will take you to myself. Dr. Stephen Wellam, a distinguished professor at Southern Baptist Seminary, he writes, Jesus, the messianic bridegroom, said he would prepare a place for his followers in his father's house and then come and take them to be with him. The language that Jesus uses here was a language that was familiar to these disciples. It's not familiar to us. It was a language of a bridegroom taking his bride. I will take you to myself. I will cleave to you. We will marry. Dr. Charles Reary helps us understand this. This is a long quote. Bear with me. I think you'll enjoy it. I think it'll bless your hearts. He gives understanding to the background to that phrase, I will take you to myself. And I quote, Jewish marriage included a number of steps. First, betrothal, which involved the prospective groom traveling from his father's house to the home of the prospective bride, paying the purchase price, and thus establishing the marriage covenant. Second, the groom's returning to his father's house, which meant being separate from his bride for 12 months, during which time he prepared the living accommodations for his wife in his father's house. Third, the groom coming for his bride at a time not known exactly to her. Fourth, his return with her to the groom's father's house to consummate the marriage and celebrate the wedding feast for the next seven days, unquote. Do you see the rich, rich, rich metaphor there? Jesus had left his father's house He came to earth to call a bride. He paid the price for that bride on the cross. And now He says to His disciples and He says to His his church, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will return and take you to Myself. will live with me forever if we had known what these eleven disciples had known as soon as Jesus said I will take you to myself whether he spoke in Aramaic or Greek they would have understood that the wedding was soon to be consummated The marriage would soon be consummated and someday as he said in the upper room they would eat with him together at the marriage feast of the Lamb. You see in that culture the husband went to the the prospective wife's home arranged the deal and then took her to his father's house where his inheritance was and he would then develop their home and their business and they would live together and raise a family. Jesus said, if I go away, which I will, I will come back and take you to myself using clearly the language of betrothal and marriage beloved as I close this morning as Christians you are the bride of Christ you need to think of that in those terms as a body of Christians we are the bride of Christ revelation 21 says then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and i saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband then i saw then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me saying come i will show you the bride the wife of the lamb Paul wrote in Ephesians 5 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or in any any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Your marriage and my marriage to Christ was foreordained and predetermined before the world started. The price has now been paid. The covenant of marriage has been established between the Father and the Son. Your husband and mine has entered heaven. To prepare a place for us. We don't know when he's coming back. We don't know when he's coming back. But as surely as he went. He is returning to take you and I. To himself. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. John wrote. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Jesus said, You've believed in God? Believe also in me. As I close, beloved, I wonder if there's anyone here who has not heard the invitation to the marriage lamb, marriage supper of the lamb? I wonder if there's anyone listening online, anyone listening that has never heard the invitation to the marriage supper of the lamb? You say to me, Pastor Jim, how do I know if I've heard? Do I get a little voice in my ear? No. This is how you know you've heard. She has made herself ready. She has prepared herself for the groom. People who are not brides, don't get ready for the groom they don't put on holiness they don't put on righteousness they care little about the way they're living their lives and someday the call will come and the groom will, and it'll be announced the groom is ready and they won't be ready I ask you as we close this morning, are you making yourself ready for that call? Are you putting on Christ and taking off the sins of the flesh? These are the true words of God, the Scriptures say. Let not your hearts be troubled. You have believed in God. Believe also in Jesus. In our Father's house are many rooms if it were not so Jesus would not have told us he has gone to prepare a place for us and as surely as he has gone to prepare a place for us he will return and take us to himself so that we can be where he is will you pray with me The precious promises you've given to us Lord Jesus promises that we can trust promises that we can believe in them believe in because you have said it we're thankful Father that your grace will enable our stammering fearful hearts Not to be anxious, but simply to trust. Our hearts think back to the many friends and family and relatives who have put their faith in you and they're enjoying their room. And they're enjoying you in a way that we yet have not. And we pray, Father, that you would give us this central longing hope to see you face to face. Until then, we wait that day with patience and perseverance. Help us to serve you with the best of our ability. Help us to cleanse ourselves from sin, to put on the robes of holiness. So that we're ready, whatever day you call us, to meet you face to face. And as the hymn writer has said, that will be glory. Glory. In Christ's name we pray.